Often is Sunday. It is uh, May 24th, 2009. It's Memorial Day. And uh, Memorial Day tends to pull out some interesting messages. I uh, really worked hard not to go back to any of the previous notes, any of the previous Memorial Days. I've been preaching two, three, four times a week now for about 15 years. So that's a lot of Memorial Days. And what the devil meant to harm me has worked out for my good. My computer and my Bible were stolen this last week. But we tricked that devil. I hid the word in my heart. And it keeps me from leaning on anything done in the past. It makes me pick up a fresh jawbone. And I asked and he gave it to me. So this morning we're going to talk about a memorial name. Amen? A memorial name. Turn with me to Genesis 9. Wednesday night, we covered 2 Kings 3. And in 2 Kings 3, there were three kings. One was named Joram, one was named Jehoshaphat, and one didn't even have a name. He was just called the king of Edom. And in that scripture, I shared how those three kings could represent the three parts of a human being. Your spirit, your soul, and your body. And the necessary order that we put these things in to do what God wants us to do. Those kings did not have the right order in their campaign and in their structure. And so the enemy defeated them. Uh, it came to my attention afterwards that some didn't really know what I was talking about. Uh, and that's okay. It's probably my fault. We need to pray to clearly portray the Scripture, to really teach it. But I think the reason that some missed it is because I've not given the teaching that all of that is based on. So I wanted to start today with our message, Memorial Name, in Genesis 9. Because when Noah gets off of the boat with Ham, Shem, and Japheth uh, and their wives, eight people in all, eight tends to symbolize new beginning in the Bible, we really have the figureheads for the human race right here. In Ham, Shem, and Japheth, everybody that would ever walk the planet from then until now, in some ways related to one of those three people. And since God is described as a three-part or triune being, since man has three parts, the human race can be summed up in three parts. These three parts show up in lots of places. They show up at the Tower of Babel. They show up at the crucifixion. They show up uh, in the book of Revelation with the ultimate expression of man's rejection of God in the number 666. All of that begins in Genesis 9. So read with me, uh, starting in the 24th verse. When Noah awoke from his wine, and found out what his youngest son had done to him. I don't want to cover this this morning, uh, but when Noah got off the boat, he planted a vineyard. Uh, and then he drank something from the vineyard. And it apparently was not Welch's because it got him drunk and he passed out. Uh, the Bible's not endorsing getting drunk or passing out. In fact, it forbids it. But there is no textual justification anywhere in the Word for calling wine anything other than what you know as wine. The right way to approach these kind of things is not to change the word, it's to change people's lives in the way that they approach them. There are a lot of things that can be sin for one human being and not sin for another. And if something has exhibited mastery over you, then that's an idol. And the Bible commands that it be thrown out, whether it's Seinfeld, The Simpsons, a glass of wine, a cigar, or chocolate. It doesn't matter. And our church is not about abstinence from everything that is the world. The Bible says it's good. Our church is about getting everything in its right order. Jesus first and then the things that He brings in and out of your lives. Amen? Amen. Okay, so he, he doesn't do so well with his wine and one of his sons doesn't do well with him. Listen to this prophecy because although it speaks very accurately about his three children, it also speaks prophetically about all of mankind. Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May Japheth extend the territory. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his slave. Now this is very familiar to me. If you're reading it the first time, I understand how this could get kind of twisted up. But he says, And all of mankind will come from these three boys. These three boys have certain destinies. The first one, uh, Ham and Canaan, the descendant of Ham, are going to be slaves. Second, 
there'll be another part of mankind that is Shem. Shem means the name. It's where we get the term Semitic. It's where we get all of the Semitic peoples that gave us the world religions that we have today. But chief among them are the Israelites. They are the chief among all Semitic peoples. Blessed be the God of the name of Shem. The last one was a group of people that would descend from Japheth that needed to come into Shem's tent, into Shem's revelation, into Shem's culture, into Shem's God, the name, God of the name. And what would happen from there is that two brothers would subdue a third. A third would do the bidding of the other two. This is much like in a human being, God puts His name inside of you. His Spirit dwells in you and it begins to change your very identity. It's like yeast that works its way through the whole thing. And one of the first places it shows up is in your mind, will, and emotions. This is what your Bible calls a soul. His name working inside of you, regenerating your spirit, begins to affect your thoughts. It renews your mind. It begins to affect the way that you interact with your emotions. It begins to affect all of who you are. The last thing to feel the effects of the God of Shem, the name, is your body. In fact, we're still waiting for it to be glorified. We're still waiting for it to be raised from the dead. Right now, it's still sagging more than I might like. It's still decaying more than I might like. This passage of Scripture is about all of mankind's history coming together in three children. Watch how it plays out as we move forward. We get to a place in the Bible around Genesis 10 where man has united. They're all speaking one language. The descendants of Ham, the descendants of Shem, and the descendants of Japheth are there. And there's a unified rebellion against God. So much so that God has to come down and break up the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth and put them in separate places with separate languages. The table of nations begins at this point. At another point in history, we have the Son of God on a cross. Do you remember what languages were written above Him? Hebrew, Greek, Latin. Latin. Isn't it amazing? Those are the languages of Shem, Ham, and Japheth's descendants. Ham is Latin. Uh, all of the Roman peoples come straight descended from Ham. You can trace it through a book like Haley's Bible Handbook or many others. You can trace it on that wall right there. I put it up there for you. The language of the Hebrews is a Semitic language. The language of Japheth is a Greek language. Another point in history, all of mankind chooses a leader who is called the Antichrist. It won't be a surprise then that he will be recognized by the descendants of those three boys. When those three boys come together, figuratively speaking, world-changing events happen. So when we began teaching about that the other night, I understand for some it may have gotten fuzzy. Let's take it back to what is supposed to happen. There is supposed to be one God, the God of the name. And all mankind will either come into Him or be forced into doing something that was not their will. In other words, their wills were wrong and so God would put them in a place that reflected that. This is where human history ends with a lake of fire and those who are written in the book of life. Those who are saved in the name of God and those who had their own will and are the slaves. Y'all following me so far? A few heads are nodding. That's very good. Because of this prophecy and because of the Hebrew idea of what a name is, when the Bible begins to speak of a name, when it begins to speak about the name of Jesus, it means much more than just saying Darren's name is Darren. To us, the word name just means what are you called? To the Hebrew people, name means your authority your reputation. Sometimes the word Shem or Hashem is actually translated memorial. In other words, your name is something that represents everything about your life, like a memorial represents an event. In our country, there's a Vietnam uh, memorial. It has nothing more on it than people's names, indicating they were there. They participated in this and there was a sacrifice. We call that a memorial because their names are on it. In Hebrew, your name while you're living speaks about the memorial of your life. Another way to translate it is renown. Another way to translate it is monument. 
All of this begins to culminate that when you spoke someone's name, what it meant was their authority, their body of work, their reputation, the very essence of their life. And so when a mother named a child, the name was supposed to be prophetic. You know, this one's name is Ben Lomi. Father said, no, no, not birthed in pain. Ben Jamin, son of happiness. And it turned out to be true. Bible names had significance to them. If you want to think about this from an American standpoint, when you watch old Western movies and you see the Indians, their names were always functional. Stands with a fist. <laughs> right? Somebody liked to fight. Runs like a horse. Right? Who knows? But they were functional. All of Hebrew names were this way. And the hope was that you would grow up with this as a monument for you. Move on with me then to Isaiah 56. By the way, Abraham... Right? The father of the faithful. Did you know he was married to three women? The first one, Hagar, from Ham. Uh, the first one he had a child with. Second one, Sarah, Semitic. Third one, Keturah. Nobody knows. But do you have to guess? Hmm. So turn with me to Isaiah 56. I'll teach you more about the three sons some other time. I want to talk to you about the name today. I really just threw that in because I want you to understand Wednesday night, those of you that were here Wednesday. The part of you that knows what is right, your spirit, has got to take captive your mind, will, and emotions. Bring them into what you know is right, your spirit. Your spirit and your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, force your body to do what it is supposed to do. This keeps us from being like the animals, brute beasts that are led around by our desires. I was mad, so I hit him. I was hungry, so I ate. I thought she was beautiful, so I... All of those animalistic things, because your spirit says, no, this is not the will of God. Your mind, will, and emotions reasons it out and says, I want to do God's will. And together, they deny the flesh. They make the flesh their slave. That's what Ham, Shem, and Japheth's prophecy was about. But from a global perspective, looking at all of the human race, there would be some who did that, some who came into that blessing, like you Gentiles that have come into the blessing of Shem, and a third group that never would and would have to be slaves in a millennial reign. Are you in Isaiah 56? Yep. In Isaiah 56, we hear this beautiful, beautiful scripture. It says, this is what Yahweh says. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Bible, this is called a tetratomagron. It is a respectful way to say the name Yahweh. Because the Jewish tradition that we've received the Scriptures in, they thought so highly of God's name, His authority, His body of work, His reputation, His renown, His monument, His memorial, that they did not want to use it carelessly. So they would say things like, Blessed be He, or the Lord, or to Him who belongs praise. But they would not say it. So when it shows up in the Scripture, for us, it's translated Lord. But in the Scripture, it was Y-H-W-H because He is the God of the name. This is what the Lord, Yahweh, says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hands from doing evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from His people. This was quite the promise in 740 B.C. because foreigners were often excluded from the Lord. If you were not of Israeli birth, if you were not of the people of God, you can only come so close. God always had His eyes on the nations, but you were certainly not allowed into the Holy of Holies. In fact, not all the Israelites were. Only a Levite. And then not all the Levites. Only one special one. Once a year. So God had set this up in a way that mankind could see there would have to be something special about you and your relationship to God or you could only come so close. But Isaiah promised a day in which nobody who was a foreigner, nobody outside who clung to the Lord, who bound himself to the Lord, would be excluded any longer. All of us would be like those who had the most special, intimate relationship with him. This is quite a promise. Especially during a day when Israel is being surrounded by an Assyrian king named Sennacherib, who is cursing God. 
Is this the time that you want to hear the prophet say, everybody, even the foreigners, are all going to be in relationship with God? Probably not. How would you like to hear a prophecy in church on the morning after Pearl Harbor that God was going to bless the Japanese? That's pretty hard to deal with, isn't it? But God cares about all mankind. It was never about an exclusive group. He just had to start somewhere. So he picked the smallest, most insignificant group. Might be why he picked you. Why he picked me. People who were not of noble birth did not have a beautiful lineage. This way, everybody could glorify God and there would be no Eric in it. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord, who has bound himself to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely exclude me from His people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. Before we get to this, in a day when your property was handed down based on your firstborn son, in a time period where you had to know who someone's father was to know whether or not they could get into God's presence, to know whether or not they could own property, whether or not they could perform certain roles. A unit could look like somebody that had no hope, somebody who had been damaged beyond repair. In fact, God had spoken. He spoke in Deuteronomy 23 and said, among those that serve in my temple, none can be eunuchs. And now a prophecy comes forth and says, for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. This uh, memorial and name that the eunuchs are given. This is the word Yad Vashem. Has anybody here heard the words Yad Vashem? It's what the Israeli people named the Holocaust Museum. Because they wanted a memorial to the people of the name. People who were descended from Shem and what the nations tried to do to them. They wanted something for all of the world to see. This is where we've come from. But it is not where we are going. And so they chose the name Yad Vashem. This prophecy starts off with a group of people who are excluded from God. It moves on to a people who are not only excluded from God, they had no hope of producing a future in their progenitory. And God says, I'm going to do something for you that will be a memorial. It will be a name within the temple of God. This must have been an extraordinary promise if you were in this position. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to love the name of Yahweh, and to worship Him, and all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and all who hold fast to the covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in the house of my God. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. This prophecy 740 years before Jesus promised a day when those who were excluded and outside could participate and be given a memorial name before God even those that could not have children would suddenly have something that would last forever and ever and ever upon the earth to testify to their function, their authority, their body of work. Eunuchs and foreigners coming to worship God. Turn with me to Acts 8. Come on, one brother's there. Where's the rest of the church? You know, the people of God have always been slow to share what we have with others outside. We usually blame it on persecution. We blame it on uh, fear. We blame it on all kinds of things. They're dirty. <laughs> We're clean. Whatever it is, but the people of God that have been given life-changing, outstanding resurrection, death-devastating power have been slow to share it historically. This was told to Isaiah 740 years before Jesus showed up. Ten years after Jesus was crucified, 
Still, the people who had received these promises were not running to the nations to tell them about it. They were excited. I'm blessed. You're blessed. I'm okay. You're okay. You, Susie, Johnny, us four. No more. The bless me gospel. Doesn't it go around everywhere? How many people are meeting and their hearts are rent for someone else's benefit? How many people are really caring more about their neighbor than themselves? How many are serving God, believing that God will anoint them not to be great, not to be blessed, but to be a servant to someone else? Do you see how easy this thing gets off track? It becomes, oh Lord, it's all about you, but it's really me. All about you, but it's really me. All about you, as long as I get the glory, Lord, I'll give you the glory, as long as the glory's on me. If you don't think that's true, flip around on your TV. Visit a few churches. Why do we put men's names on signs? Why do we even do that? You know, the, the churches addressed in Revelation were not addressed to the pastor so-and-so of the church. They weren't addressed that way. They were addressed by their location. Because it was not a man's church. And this is not my church. And any real church belongs to Jesus. How is it that we gravitate towards these things that allow us to be self-centered instead of outward focused? What's in our nature? We have to get our spirit and our soul in line to force our flesh to do what is right. Put kids in the room. Put as much ice cream as it takes to feed them all more than they could want. Every kid, almost every time, below a certain age, will get more than they can have. And then, a few will try to take what the others have, even though they can't eat it. There is nothing good in our flesh. We have to bring our flesh into subjection to our mind, will, emotions as controlled by the Spirit of God. This is mankind's destiny. It's our quest. Some will do it, and some won't both as nations and as people. In Isaiah, I'm sorry, in Acts 8, starting in 26, Ethiopians are descendants of Ham, by the way. If, if we had to talk about national destinies at the moment, and you heard the, the prophecy that uh, the descendants of Ham uh, would represent uh, slaves, right? Uh, and, and you had to take a guess then. Who would be some of the first people born again? Right? Probably Ham's not high on the list, is it? Um, probably not. And if you had to pick anybody, you would say, you know, of course Shem's born again. They're the keepers of the name. But, but maybe Japheth. But certainly Ham would not come to mind. It's amazing that in the missionary travels, Ham is mentioned over and over and over. You know why? Jesus cares about those that are the furthest down and the furthest out that have the least opportunity, not the most. He did not come for those that were righteous or thought they were righteous. He came for those that knew they were in trouble and wanted His help. Most of the American church's biggest problem is we don't know that we need help. We think we're rich and we're sickly and naked. If we got an eye full of what God sees every day, disgusting flesh that is trying to glory in His presence, that sees nothing wrong with sin accompanying salvation, we would change. Our hearts would be rent. We would be torn. We would never think that God's presence could coexist with our habitual, ongoing sin that is unrepentant. We would never think that. But somehow or another in the American churches, we've just gotten the idea that you're okay and I'm okay and let's don't ask any questions. It doesn't work that way. Either He's God of all of you or He's God of none of you. Either He's your God every day and He's your Lord every day or you're deceiving yourself. He's not really your Lord. It might be time to make that decision. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Why point that out? I mean, of all the things that you would like to have announced about you. <laughs> you know, Hey, this is Chris, my buddy. I'm kidding. Hey, this is Eric, my buddy. And uh, Eric is from Ethiopia. And you know what else, gosh darn it? He's a eunuch. How, how excited would you to have, be to have that written in the most populated, circulated book in all of the world? The bestseller through all generations. Why do you think Luke wrote it down? Because it is fulfillment of a prophecy. And what prophecy was this man reading? Oh, that's right. Isaiah's scroll. Long before there were chapters and verses, you know what there were? Scrolls. And he was open to the scroll. Not far from the place we just read. Why do you think he was reading this? 
Because he saw in Isaiah hope that even though he had been damaged, even though he was a foreigner, if he would cling to God, God would make him like a memorial in the house of God. There was a hope for a godly function and future and reputation. So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. <laughs> you know that there's a sign there. You can come this far, Ethiopian, but no further. Proselytes of the gate, they call them. He could only come as far as the gate of the house of the Lord. Imagine that you showed up here today, right? And I said, CJ, I'm so glad you're here. Wait by the door. Don't step in. You cannot step in. I'm glad that you love... In fact, you can look through the window. Right? Participate all you want out there. Wouldn't that kind of hurt? This had been going on for centuries. And you can't blame the people who received the commandment. The commandment is spiritual and holy and right, Paul said. So what was God trying to show? You cannot come to me any way you want. You cannot come to me on your own terms. Like Hophnia and Phineas found out, God will only accept certain kinds of fire. You cannot come into my presence any way you want. There is a prescribed way. But if you long for me with all of your heart, if you strive for me, I will get you there. Since there is an awful lot that I have not done right in my life that has not nearly followed the prescribed way. But I have bound myself to the Lord. And so in the end, He gets me there. And my life's not over yet. There's still hope for even those non-prescribed ways. Treasury. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? How often have you met that kind of refreshing honesty? Well, some say it means this. Others say that. I mean, who can really know? It's not what he said. He didn't say, well, what's your interpretation? Or how about this one? Uh, only the church has this right. No one else. None of you are smart enough, holy enough, good enough. If you don't speak Latin and have a long descent from strange people, Hamites, you, uh, you can't interpret this properly. Wars were fought over that. 240,000 Real believers were burned alive. You hear me? Burned alive between the years 1600 and 1800 by the world's largest church over that one issue. 240,000 people. I stood up and asked an apologist for that church in front of 900 people how he dealt with that kind of truth. How do you go out and teach about an organization and hold it up as the light for the nation? knowing that this is true. He told me Protestants did bad things too. Thanks. That clears it up for me. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is mere paragraphs away from the promise to eunuchs. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him about the good news of Jesus. If he began there, and this is mere paragraphs before the promise to the eunuch, where do you think he finished? So what was the response? What does the eunuch want after this? Look, there is water. Baptize me. How do you baptize? The end of Matthew says you baptize into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 and my UPC brothers have made a big deal out of this. It says that they baptize in or into the name of Jesus. So what does that really mean? If you want a memorial in the presence of God, if you want a name that lasts from generations to generation, if you want a function and a life that brings renown to God, you must get into the life of Jesus. He's already there. He's already established it. 
He will write your name on himself. You become part of the monument that is called Christ, the Anointed One. Turn with me to Acts 2.38. Not preaching about baptism. I'm talking about your life being identified with the person that has achieved this for us already. You ever do something that reminded your mother of your father? Yeah. You sure are your father's son. What does that mean? It means the fruit didn't fall far from the tree. Would people say that about you and Jesus? You sure are Jesus, brother. You sure are son of the father. Our goal would be that our behavior would be so similar to Jesus that people would go, that's a Christos, that's a follower of Christ. In fact, a Roman historian in AD 58 while trying to throw all Messianic believers out of Rome said, I don't know, they're fighting about somebody named Christos. He didn't even get it right. He named him after toothpaste. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Their behavior was closely associated associate associated with the man did it work I want to tell you the truth in the south we say Jesus and Lord none of those are his names and never have been never but if you're associated with his character it really doesn't matter he knows you're speaking to him my child does not always know Abby calls me Mr. Daddy <laughs> that's my name she says, Daddy, and when you ask her what is his name, Daddy Eric, Mr. Eric, right? Do you think I don't answer her when she calls me? Because she's associated with me. There's a bond. There's an affection. She will always be associated with me in some way, just like all you ladies are associated with your father in some way. Unless, of course, she gets in the covenant with a man and takes his name. That's right. Jesus took you into covenant so that you would have his name. A name that is above every name. What is amazing about this, before we get into some of these other scriptures, is this name carries with it weight, significance with God. So that when you stand and tell cancer, be removed into the sea, if you're dwelling in His name, if that compelled you to do what you're doing, you know what? The cancer obeys you. So Eric, I'd like to see that done 100% of the time. No, you misunderstand. This is not magic. He's not my genie. I do what he says. He doesn't do what I say. I am in his name. He's not in mine. It's a confusing thing, though. When you look around, are they building their name or Jesus' name? And that really is a fundamental question before us today, isn't it? Whose name are you dwelling in? Are you operating in the strength of Cap? The strength of CJ? The strength of Matthew? Are you operating in the strength of Jesus? Whose name are you investing in? Whose reputation are you worried about? Whose life do you study most? Do you spend more time talking about the years you played football than the years Jesus ministered upon the earth and is ministering in your life now? Think about these things. Where's your investment? It will tell you where your treasure is. In Acts 2, let's read around verse 38. i got a new Bible. It all looks new. Peter replied... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And, the, uh, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off and for all whom the Lord will call. You know what's amazing about this is Peter didn't understand what he was saying. He did not get it. It's for you, your children, and all who are far off. In his mind, he probably thought all the Jews who are a long ways off, like the Diaspora Jews. But by Acts 10, he still didn't understand there was another guy out there who had bound himself to the Lord. And the Bible says an angel showed up and said, Cornelius, Cornelius, there is a memorial. Memorial. A, a Shem. A Yad Vashem. In the heavens because of your prayer. See, we have a tendency to think about how the Word affects us. How it blesses us. And if not us, our kids. And if not our kids, you know, those immediately around us. You are only ever blessed for one reason. To be a blessing to others. Mm -hmm. Now, Peter had to have a vision about food to get that straight. I can relate. Mm -hmm. 
Sometimes God speaks to us in the only ways that we're used to understanding. Sometimes He even has to speak to you through Ham, your flesh. This is why so many of our trials are painful. Sometimes He speaks to you through your mind, will, and emotions. He lets you reason things out like, Lord, I'll set out a fleece, and if it's wet, then cool. If it's dry, then cool. Other times He simply speaks right into your spirit. But all three are working all of the time and have to get into unity with God. Turn with me then to John 14. Y'all tired of hearing me talk yet? I'm getting hungry. <coughs> Flesh can have a powerful voice, but it is certainly not the most powerful voice. It's fading throughout your lifetime. In fact, the things that really drive young people don't drive old people. The flesh that has such a powerful voice and is so dominating early in life, many times later in life its voice is, I'm dying and I'm hurting. That's why older people tend to talk about their ailments all of the time. Our goal in our lives is to let our spirit have the very strongest voice. All of mankind has to get into the tent of Shem. Are you living in two separate worlds right now? Is your mind, will, and emotions not sold out for God? And yet you're saying, in my spirit, he's Lord. Better get it all straight. In John 14, pick up with me in verse 8. Uh, I didn't want to teach about baptism, but when you say, into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit, or if your Bible just says in, in Greek, in and into, exact same word, there's no difference. And furthermore, all of the men who heard those instructions recorded baptisms. And when they recorded them, they baptized into the name of Jesus because they understood one name to encompass all of the body of work of God, all of His authority, all of His reputation, all of His function, all that He ever is or will be. Jesus, the name above every name. See, it sounds so confusing in English, but to the Hebrew mind, they're like, oh yeah, okay. This is why there's no discussion about it in the book of Acts. There's no arguments or church splits over the way in which this is done. It simply says they did it in the name of Jesus. Look at verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered. At least Philip's not scared to ask, right? Show us the Father. The, The word says he cannot be seen. Period. Cannot, never will be, not seen. Said, but Moses, Moses. No, Moses saw his back in his glory. He never saw him. The word's very clear about it. Even, even when the covenants were instituted, there were angelic ambassadors doing it. Stephen found that out in Acts 7. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. No, that's got to be one of the most convicting scriptures in all of the Word. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Have you read the things that Jesus did? Anybody this week spit in the mud and made eyeballs? Yeah, me either. Me either. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, authority, body of work, function, reputation, memorial, monument, The things that Jesus did showed us the way that you live out God's Word. If we want to live in His name, be baptized in His name, be saved in His name, we must walk as He walked. That's what it means. It doesn't mean simply pronounce Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean just let the phrase come out of your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It means to live as if He is Lord. That's dwelling in His name. His function, the monument that he has. It's becoming part of him. Do you know that in Germany when you say that you're a Christian, the liberal translation is, I am Christ? You know why? Because the reformers who formed the language understood that to be a Christian made you a part of Christ. 
We are His body, part of Christ, and He is the monument that lasts forever in the house of God. What are our lives say? Are they a monument to God? And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I don't want to read to you about Cornelius because I think you know the story. But Cornelius is praying and an angel shows up and says, your prayers have come up as a memorial. How is this man who is a foreigner... This man who is a part of a hated occupying force. There's a lot of talk in our news about occupying forces these days. I want you to think about this for a minute. Roman soldiers had raped Jewish women. They had stolen Jewish children. They had beat people publicly unmercifully. They had extorted people for money because they were a brutal dictatorship that occupied Israel. How does somebody who is a commander among these find himself with a memorial in heaven? Because despite his national destiny, despite who his mommy and daddy were, despite his job that didn't define him, he bound himself to the Lord. And God did whatever it took to get somebody to him who would bring him the fullness of the revelation so that he could dwell in God's presence forever. So much for thinking anybody has slidden too far. All we need to do is cling to Him and He will reach out for us. All we need to do is take the first step in turning towards Him and like the father in the story of the lost or prodigal son, He runs towards us. What keeps us from doing that? Is it the pride of our name? I want to go ahead and tell you right now, I'm not impressed with men's names anymore. I haven't been for a long time. One of the most nauseous things that happens is to be around pastors as they name drop. Well, I found myself with so-and-so, and I was here with so-and-so, and I said, I really, I am in the name Jesus the Christ. I said, but I was at dinner with this person. Yeah, well, I fellowship with my king intimately, daily. There's a pastor in Baton Rouge that has contributed an awful lot to the kingdom of God. And Ronald Reagan called him in the 80s. I wanted to thank him for his work. His response was, tell Ronald Reagan I am in conference with the King of Kings. He'll have to call back. I love that. And I love Ronald Reagan. It's not that I'm trying to insult Ronaldus Magnus. But there is no name that begins to compare with the King of Kings. How are we living, moving, acting in relation to that name? Turn with me to Matthew 21. We're going to walk through a couple of scriptures in Matthew, share a closing, and then work. Yeah. <coughs> in the first chapter of Matthew, starting in the 20th verse, Twenty-first verse. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. It was unusual during this day to give somebody a name that was not a family name. That's why the angel tells the father, not the mother. You know, he's got to go back and account for this. The name Jesus means Yahweh's salvation. The child would bear a name that began the first steps of the monument he was building towards God. The child would bear a name that described his function to the whole world. I am Yahweh's method of salvation. You want to be safe? Get in my tent. Get in my teaching, my lifestyle. To the point where the prophecy that came forth during worship, any of you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest, was literally true about his life. When we get in Him, we take on His nature, His very character. Turn with me to Matthew 12. Oh. 
Matthew 12, start with me in the ninth verse. Going from that place, he went to their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Think about that in literal terms. Looking for a reason to accuse Yahweh's method of salvation for mankind. If we ever knew what would heal us, if we ever knew the very things that God put in our life that we despise are the things that heal us, that help us. Why do we fight and kick against every spiritual authority? Why do we act as if we're being tortured or punished anytime we have to do something difficult? It's just not in our nature to know what is good for us. They're persecuting the very one sent to save them, and I have been no different in my life. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It's interesting that the devil always uses religious questions to try to stop salvation and the anointing. He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees, that means separated ones, went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. Now what does this mean about you if you are inside of him? If he is the monument, and all the members of his body are the monument in God's temple. Here is Jeremy, my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. Here is Brad, the one I love and whom I delight. Our God delights in us when we dwell in His name. I will put my Spirit on Him. Did He put His Spirit on Jesus only? Jesus in turn poured out His Spirit on all of us. I will put my Spirit on Him and He will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear His voice in the streets. A bruised reed He will not break and a smoldering wick He will not snuff out till He leads justice to victory. In His name, the nations will put their hope. Again, the prophet Isaiah. There would be one human being that's teaching. Whose name, by the way, in Isaiah, do you know it does not say His name? Your NIV, New Testament, or whatever version you have will translate this in His name. Do you know what the Hebrew says? And if you flip back to this reference, do you know what it says? In His laws. They'll put His trust. Well, how is it? Has the Bible got an error in it? This should be in the Bible book of difficulty. One says laws and the other says name. How could that be? You don't understand what the word name means to Hebrew. His body of work is His laws. And His name is His body of work. And man is what He does to a Hebrew. You show your faith by what you do according to the book of James. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, but the way that you know he believed was what he did. It's an American invention that the fruit doesn't have to match the kind of tree. That is an American invention. Well, I know that I'm called to be a great tree and all you see is thorns, but I'm still a great tree. Inside, I'm really a great tree. God knows I'm a great tree. Really? I think God knows what you are. Do you? It's called data denial. Right? Data denial. Jesus' teaching, His way of life, is what His name is. To be saved in His name means to participate in His way of life, in His teaching. In uh, Matthew 18, He said, in matters of church discipline, you get two people together and speak in my name, and I am there with you. This means speak in my body of work, in my function. If you were doing to them what I would be doing, it's just like I was there. That's really not complicated, is it? And it also makes sense, since he said, I will never leave you or forsake you, not even to the end of the age. There's only one of us here. Does that mean Jesus is not? No, of course He's here. But if you get two of you to agree on the function of His name in a matter of church discipline, it's just like He physically did it because you're inside of Him. Do you hear how that works? Mark 16, 16 says, those who follow Him in His name will do thus and so in the following. Right? People have tried to blot that one right out of the Bible because some weirdos in the Appalachian Mountains have misunderstood it. 
It's in His name that we accomplish everything that we want to accomplish. And many times, we say we're working in His name, but the truth is we're just building ours. Next time you pray for a miracle, ask, why do I want it? Does it exalt His name, or does it just save my skin? Does it exalt His name, or does it build my church? Does it exalt His name, or does it just save me from hurt? Exalting His name might do all of those things, but that's not the reason that you're doing it. Seek first the kingdom. Turn with me to Acts 3. This will be our last scripture. If you didn't know, I love the Jewish nation. Uh, I fell in love with the Jewish nation when I began reading this Jewish book. Uh, I was a bit of a surprise to me when the people around me in the first churches that I went to just thought Jews were good business people. Um, there were even a few that didn't seem to realize Jesus was the king of the Jews. They saw the Jews as people who killed Christ and nothing more. Uh, I found that very hard to accept. And God brought me to a man who had a deeper revelation than that, and I'm thankful for it. The book is about the salvation of the people of Shem and Japheth being included in their salvation. Go read Romans 11. It could not get any clearer. And we find out from the way this was carried out through history, even all the descendants of Ham have hope. But the hard, cold facts are God gave his name to one people group. Everybody else has to get into their tent. And if they don't, they become the slave. And the millennial reign and throughout eternity, they do not inherit what they were supposed to inherit. In Acts 3, we find some beautiful things about the Jewish culture. The first verse. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. By the way, they weren't Christians. They were Jews who believed in Jesus. The word Christian doesn't appear for Ten more chapters, and then it's outsiders that called these people this, and it wasn't necessarily a compliment. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At the time of prayer. Could you say that about any Americans? You know, one day, Jennifer and Christy and Lisa were going at the time of prayer. What time would that be? What time would it be? The reason you can't answer me is because we don't know. There is no American time of prayer. But the Jewish nation itself set aside three times a day to pray. Why would you do something like that? I don't know. Why does the whole world set aside a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner? The Jewish nation learned to feed Shem. They learned how to feed their spirit so that they could do what God called them to do. So it was the time of prayer, and there were three times in the day. The first one was called Shekharit. means morning. The next one's called Mincha. It means gifts, but it was the afternoon service. The last one is called Ma'ariv, and it means evening. Now they're going at the time of prayer, and he says it, about three in the afternoon. This is the Mincha prayer service. Interestingly enough, at the Mincha prayer service, you know what you focus on? You pray a prayer called the Amada that I've taught many of you about. And while you're praying the prayer of Amada, an exhortation is given. And the exhortation is always on charity gifts towards other people. God has blessed you, Israel, that you might be a blessing to the nations. They quote Genesis 12 about Abraham being blessed so that he could be a blessing. If you were a beggar, where would you like to hang out then? <laughs> One day while Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon, now a man crippled from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Why was he there? He is counting on the fact that people will do what God's Word says. He's actually learned that if you fish in the right spot, you might catch fish. He had no idea that God was about to get hold of him. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Expectation is such a powerful thing. If you walk into church and all you do is expect to endure this service, that's probably all you will get out of it. If you walk in expecting God to do something miraculously different in your life, He will do more than you could ask for or imagine. And in the end, you know what is so strange? Those who walk in expecting just to endure the service will blame me. 
The truth is you will get from God what you've tried to invest in Him. If you want manna, He'll give it to you every day. If you crave other meats, He'll give it to you till it comes out your nose. But in the end, it'll be your fault. Whatever you got, righteousness or wickedness. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. There was a man speaking to the Pope in the 12th century. He said, we can no longer say silver and gold we don't have. Looking at the treasuries of the Vatican. But another man responded, neither can we say stand up and walk. If you build your name, you may have wealth. But you will never have what human beings really need. If you build his name and you put his authority, his reputation, his function first in your life, if you do everything you can to identify with it and let it control your actions, even greater things than what is recorded about Jesus can be done through you. They can. Jesus never healed a woman of AIDS during his ministry. I watched humble men stand outside of a trailer, a 1970s trailer with holes in the floor lay hands on a woman who was crying because she had weeks to live. They would not even accept her into medical studies because she was already considered too far gone. After Jesus healed her and they had her blood before and after and Geraldo Rivera personally called her and Oprah's people called her and the local news stations began to get hold of the fact that a woman had been flown to Bethesda, Maryland for the United States Navy to study. We found out there's all kind of things possible in his name. And the God we serve told that woman, don't go on Geraldo. Don't go on Oprah. Just love me all the days of your life. What a beautiful story, huh? I would have went on Geraldo. <laughs> I'd have went on Oprah. Our God is not interested in building people's names. He's interested in be building his name. You see, I don't even have to share her name for it to be important. But if she went on Geraldo, your mind would be racing. Was that so-and-so? Was it so-and-so? The name that's important in our lives is Jesus. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Listen to that. In the name of Yahweh's method of salvation, the Anointed One from Nazareth. In the body of work, authority, reputation, monument, memorial of Yahweh's method of salvation, the anointed one from Nazareth, stand up and walk. Did the guy get up right away? No, he needed a helping hand. But as that hand came forward and trust began to rise and probably a fat fisherman pulled him a little bit, somewhere the man's legs became strong. And he went to leap and jump. And Peter has to give an account for this. Listen to what he says. He could be saying it to the church today. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Where was his reverence? Didn't he know there's a method to salvation? Why has the man not been put through catechism? This is not proper. Come on. When you have been set free, when you know what it is to be condemned and are now alive, how can we look constipated sitting in pews? <laughs> you ever go to a ball game? You ever go to a movie? Isn't this movie wonderful? It's the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Come on, saints. If you're dwelling in His name, if you are the one that has just been made strong and told you can go do it for other people, how can we meet the King of Kings? It doesn't work. This is why the devil's tried to enforce it upon the masses. It's a blanket that smothers your trust. It's something that says, you believe the right things, you don't need to do anything, not even smile. Everybody in your church is getting divorced, find a new church. Nobody in your church is getting healed, find a new church. If you don't believe your pastor is speaking the actual Word of God, whether it's entertaining or not, find a new church. 
The church of the living God is something that stands against the gates of hell. It surely exists everywhere. It's a remnant. It may not have the prettiest signs and the multi-visual programs and the latest singers, but they have the name of Jesus. And that's all you ever really needed. Pick up with me in verse 11. While the beggar, beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? What a great question. Why does this surprise you? They had been praying the Amadah. It starts off with men of Israel. Our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which is, by the way, the next thing Peter says. It's a God who revives the dead, heals the sick. That's what they were inside praying for. Why are they surprised? Could that not be said to the church today? You surprised? Do you look at us skeptically when I tell you two people here with cancer sitting in here? You haven't heard the half of it. You have not heard the half of it. People have been healed of all kinds of things I can't even mention. I think it's probably a lot easier to heal cancer than an attitude. <laughs> One can just be cut out. <laughs> Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, trust, in the name, the memorial, the body of work, the function, the renown, the authority of Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through Him that has given this complete healing to Him as you can all see. The entire fourth chapter is dedicated towards the religious establishment, establishment saying quit using that name. They wouldn't even say it. They just said don't use that name. To want the anointing to want healings, to want the passion and fire of God, but not want to be identified with, with the memorial that is the people of His name, is sin of the highest order. To want all of the benefits of the kingdom, but not want to do what it takes to get them, is how you have a nation full of compromising, weak-willed, icicle hireling pastors in their churches. But if you will do whatever it takes, to be identified with the name even if it cuts off your head then God can move through you and He gets the glory. Amen, saints. Philippians 2.9 I can't read you because I told you this was the last scripture but it speaks of Jesus' great sacrifice even dying on a cross so He was exalted to the name that is above every name. The name above every name. You are helping to build a monument either to yourself or to Jesus. One will last forever and the other is destined to be destroyed. You better decide which it is on this memorial day. And then throw all of your heart into it. I feel a little bit like Elijah, honestly. I'm probably not nearly as good looking as a man that wears camel vests and is hairy and eats locusts. But he had got to the place in ministry where he didn't much care what the people did. He just wanted them to pick a side. In Kings 17, he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, serve Him. If Baal is God, go serve Him. Go on. Get out. Go on. Get. Get. Why are you looking back? Go. I've gotten to a place where I honestly feel that way. I don't care whether people don't like our carpet, our youth programs, the shirts I wear anything else. I really don't. If you want to serve God, here or wherever you are, do it with all of your heart. If you don't, quit muddying the waters. Quit pretending to be a Christian. Get out. You'll reap what you've sown. 
I have already been out. I didn't much like it out there. So I beat on the door and asked in. And he came and made his home with me. And I've made my home with him. How about you? Stand up. Let's pray. An old man told me that if it couldn't be preached in an hour, it didn't need to be said. I feel a little differently. If the people of God cannot sit for an hour and five minutes to learn something that changes even one person's life, if Luby's is truly more important, what kind of church are we? better grow into the kind that cares more about everybody else than ourselves. Not throwing stones at anyone, just telling the truth and letting people see the difference. Join hands with the people around you. That's what churches do. We got hand sanitizer in the back. Amen. That's right. We're going to pray to the God that casts out kidney stones. Yes, right. That heals cancer. Yes. That restores minds. That starts preschools while everybody else is closing theirs. Yes. And we're going to ask that His work would be done in our lives so His name might be glorified. Yes. Mighty God, Lord, we're asking that we could decrease that You might increase. Yes. Lord, that of all the sermons and messages that we hear, that we've gotten so fat and full on, that we would put something into practice, that our lives would begin to reflect Yours, that our name would be found in Your name. Lord, absorb my life in Yours. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.